Greetings, colleagues and friends. Cambria Evans here, the teaching and learning EMDR consultant. And y'all, today we're talking about transformation. We're talking about our role as parents, therapists, or both, in observing transformation, facilitating transformation, encouraging and celebrating transformation. Because what's true is that sometimes in our homes and in our offices, we witness individuals, beautiful individuals, who don't always feel a sense of being understood or a sense of belonging. And we are going to invite today my dear friend and colleague, Wendy Jones. She is a therapist. She is uh, a mom. And she is an author of a book called Transformed. And in this book, she bravely and vulnerably helps us understand her journey as their family transitioned and learned to support their trans son. And Wendy has been instrumental as a friend and and colleague helping me this year and my family support our trans son, feeling like he can be affirmed and has a sense of belonging in our home and in the world. So today's episode is personal. It is important. And whether you are a therapist, a parent, or both, my invitation for you is to listen to Wendy's clear call for action about what you can do as a parent affirming your child and what you can do as a therapist when working with children or families in this population. Let's dive in. Today on the Zero Disturbance podcast, I am so honored to have a friend and colleague, uh, Wendy Jones, therapist, mom, author, uh, to come and talk to us clinicians about how to understand transgendered folks, kids in particular, and also how to support their parents. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Slash nervous. (laughs) Well, and and I want to share too, you know, we're friends and and this this feels important and personal to me too, because um, the way that I found Wendy is that I uh, was learning how to be a supportive mom to my trans child this year in 2022. And many people pointed me in your direction um, to read your book, Transformed, and maybe even kind of work with you uh, for parent coaching. And so, you know, there's so much we're going to talk about today and everyone listening just needs to know that this is something that's professionally important for both of us, but also personally important for both of us as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. For folks just getting to know you, how would you articulate like the mission that you're on right now? What is is, like the passionate mission? How, How would you describe that? Well, I feel like just by um, working with people individually, with parents, with clients individually, I'm hoping to impact the world at large by giving them the support and resources that they need. As I'm sure you've heard, there's so many things in the news in um, the world that are trying to limit trans rights. And I feel personally that every time that I can help someone get the support that they need, the resources they need, the more I am going against some of that hatred and ignorance and bigotry out there in the world. So 
I really want to help reach parents. That's one of my biggest goals too, is to help support the parent so that they can support the child because that's what I needed when my son came out, you know, to me eight years ago, eight plus years ago, I needed support and I felt lost. And, you know, as much as I was educated on everything, I had no support. And without the support, I was no good to my family. I was, you know, I was thinking the worst case scenario. So I just know the importance of support for parents. And that's uh, my goal is to have this book be something that can reach people in those moments of, of fear. Mm. And and you've been such a huge support for me. And also, you know, your book really was the first resource I could read and dive into. And it's been seven months since, you know, my, our, our son told us who he really is. And I was in such helplessness and shock and freeze and overwhelm that I got a lot of resources from different places. And I'd go to these websites or these groups and I, it was, it was just, it was too much. It was just so hard to soak it in. And what I appreciated about reading your book is that it really helped me understand that the path I'm on is understandable and, and reasonable in terms of just the feelings I have about it, the responses I'm having to it, um, the incompetence I feel, the, the fear, and I just, um, I was so moved at how generous you were with sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I felt it was important to share not only clinical information and, and statistics and facts, but also have the reader go kind of along the path with me to see how much I struggled, even with the education I had, you know, just to show that this is such a challenging situation for anyone. So, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, just to see that I made it from here to there, you know, and now I'm feeling so much better about things and so much more hopeful and positive about things that everyone else can too. Mm. That's my hope. Mm. I'm here for your mission. Can we talk a little bit about folks, this process of like being gendered? (laughs) Um, Because that that really got me thinking about how I've gendered my kids, how I've been, mm-hmm. you know, gendered just in terms of kind of cultural norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and my hope is that for any parents listening or clinicians listening, they'll be able to understand kind of the nuances of what we're talking about. Can you say a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think I wrote about it in the book, but you think about when you find out you're pregnant and you know, as soon as you hear what parts your baby has, you decide to go decorate, you know, or you start to plan for names, you start to envision futures, you start to, I mean, we're so tied into this binary in the world of, uh, and expectations that we get attached to, that it's really such a social construct, though, because other cultures have all these other awarenesses that we don't. So it's just, it's something that I think provides um, security and um, predictability maybe for people to have these expectations. But as I'm learning as I go, it's just so not true that it's not always just one or the other, but that is just how um, society is. They're just very binary. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. And I I have to say, and and I... Notice a lot of my own incompetence and ignorance throughout the last, you know, several months learning about how to support my son. 
I have to say that it's kind of mind blowing and disorienting Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. as a person to Mm -hmm. see these gender constructs in society and to see Mm -hmm. how we've been impacted by them as Mm -hmm. kids and Mm -hmm. how we just automatically assume and give them to our children. And it's really, this whole experience has really changed the way that I, I think about everything that has to do with gender and, Mm -hmm. and even just um, the expectations people have of us, not just as our parents or caregivers, but just like in society to present a certain way or like a certain thing or certain, have a certain kind of hair Mm -hmm. or style. Um, And, and that kind of initial disorientation phase has lasted a long time because I see it everywhere now, but like, I can't unsee it. No, I know. It's like when you get a new car and then everyone else has that car, you notice all the cars. So it's, it's very enlightening and eye-opening and it's, it just kind of shakes everything up and puts it upside down for you. So like I have a cis daughter who, um, cisgender, which means, you know, her brain and her parts match up. You know, we find ourselves even saying things at times and then having to stop ourselves and say, you know, like, that's not, you know, we, we have these expectations we put on her and, you know, oh, that girls shouldn't do that or should do that. And then we have to stop and say, no, you know, you can do what you want to do. There's no expectation there. It's it's very enlightening for every aspect of your world, not just with your trans child. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I got the sense... listening to you just in our, in our friendship and also reading your book too, that you went through this process with such curiosity and openness. I mean, it it was, it was hard and confusing and painful, but I got the sense that at the core of all of it, there was a curiosity Mm -hmm. and a drive to learn and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I am, I consider myself kind of lucky in the process of how we went through it. Not every parent has a situation. Some parents are totally blindsided and they don't see any signs. My child was born very active, very, um, I mean, his nickname was Monkey from a very young age. You know, he was just very wild, very attached to dad, very um, into typical, you know, gendered boy things. Mm -hmm. But um, so we always had a feeling that something was different about our little girl we thought we had. And I just, I've always been a fierce advocate of LGBTQIA people since way before I even met my husband. And I've always just really identified with music. I think I wrote about that in the book and and empowerment of diversity and things like that. So when I started seeing my little girl showing all these different signs, you know, of course I had my fears and worries and I ran it by other parents. Like, you know, does your daughter ever just wear boy clothes? Does does your daughter ever just play with boys? You know, trying to figure out what was going on, but then also honoring like this kid is, knows who they are so much. And it was, to me, it just felt exciting. Mm. And it felt like when I finally started figuring out what was going on with him, when he finally shared his truth and without knowing the vocabulary, you know, just praying one night when we were talking, tucking him into bed, praying that if he ever dies, um, we were talking about reincarnation and different beliefs, that he could come back as a boy. And that's when it hit me because before that, we kind of thought maybe we had a little tomboy lesbian on our hands or something Mm -hmm. because he wanted to marry a girl and he wanted to be a a daddy and all these things he said that were kind of confusing to us at four and five years old. Mm. Um, So when he finally told us his truth, I felt like I was holding this amazing secret 
that like I knew I couldn't tell people yet, but it, to me, it just felt so exciting and awesome. And all these songs, just I kept hearing them in like Madonna and Lady Gaga and all these things. And I was like playing them for my kids and talking about what it means. And, you know, like just that everybody's born the way that they're supposed to be and there's no mistakes. And I mean, I just, it was, to me, it was very exciting, but terrifying on the other side, other hand as well. Mm-hmm. I had conflicting feelings, but I did have a lot of excitement too. Yeah. Understandably so. You know, when when we, we, we kind of cut a, a similar process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our son told us uh, when he was five and a half and in kindergarten, and before that, right, we, in our limited kind of gender construct, we were like, oh yeah, you know, our little girl in quotes mm-hmm. um, is a tomboy and, you know, always wanted to be the boy character and play, preferred playing with boys, had kind of gestures and like physical play that's more associated potentially with 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 boys. But it wasn't until we were in the in the pool and said something to me like, the desire to have male genitalia. Mm. And I thought, oh, okay. Like that was kind of- Something else, yeah. That was our kind of moment of, oh, (laughs) we're not getting something here, right? We're not getting something. And then flash forward, you know, Mm. five months later, and we're having the conversation about preferred pronouns. Mm -hmm. We're having the conversation about a preferred name. Uh Um, with a five-year-old. And I think it's one thing as a therapist to go through trainings Mm -hmm. conceptually and like understand things conceptually, but to actually see Mm -hmm. that, you know, my child child is a boy. Like this was this, like my child- There's no mistaking it when it's happening right in front of you. It's, It's unmistakable. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really powerful to help me understand what this actually is and and what it's not, right? It's not like he feels like a boy. Like he is a boy. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it's funny because I hear from so many parents that especially for children that are assigned female at birth, so many parents, especially moms that I've talked to, think that their little girl is gay. They think have they have a little like butch lesbian on their hands at two, three, four, five or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because as a therapist, you'd think I would know better with this training I've had, but usually gender is known by children. Usually I say loosely, because not every child knows, between two and five. Yep. And then sexuality generally is known by most kids, not all, but between nine and 11-ish. But we, we automatically go to the sexuality before we even consider the gender, which is, it's just such a new, it feels like such a new construct for us to understand, even though Trans people have been around since the beginning of time. This is nothing new. It's just newly being talked about. So it's just, you know, I think our kids are so lucky in a way that we do have the vocabulary to give them this education. Not all parents do to help them understand and and have the awareness of, is this how I'm feeling or no? Or is this how I'm feeling? You know, we gave them those tools and words to understand what they're feeling inside. Mm -hmm. Whereas... That's why I think I wanted to write this book also is there's just so much unknown out there and and, um, ignorance, just not knowing that if you don't tell your children and they don't know that that there's an option, they grow up with this feeling and then they hit the age finally, maybe when they can use the internet Mm -hmm. and then they get onto YouTube 
or other things and they see videos and then they're like, oh, that's me. Mm. I didn't even realize that this could be an option. That's why. And then they've got all these years of like depression or dysphoria or not knowing, you know. So I think the more we empower the parents to understand this, the more they can talk to their kids when they're younger, if they see some of these signs, you know, and help them understand and help them figure themselves out. So it's going to save a lot of, a lot of um, heartache for everybody. Yes. Because at the core, I think of every good enough parent, right? Is this, use the phrase kind of mama bear, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can feel Mm -hmm. my mama bear claws coming out this year. Fearful because, you know, we all want our kids to belong, to feel uh, accepted and attached to other people and and feel good about themselves. And this concept of belonging is something that I've thought so much about uh, in this transition with my son and my family. And it was so amazing to me when he went to kindergarten, right? Uh, you know, identified as as female at birth, right? With his birth name. And then it was halfway through kindergarten that this change happened. And the reports from the teacher in the beginning of kindergarten was, he doesn't really seem to know how to like play at recess. Like there's like, I'm kind of worried about social skills and an attachment. And here I am as a therapist thinking, oh my gosh, what's what's going on? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what, what what could it be? And then second semester of kindergarten, right? He's authentically presenting as himself at school. And I have kids coming up to me after school asking me for playdates. I mean, it's like he's coming home as this confident, happy kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, there, there you are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the hesitation yeah. was gone. And it was just so apparent to us. Yeah. Uh, that this was the reason why he he was feeling different, right? That that he was able to say who he was. He was able to connect, mm-hmm. to belong as he understands himself. Yeah, I, I have a similar situation. My son, before transitioning, before he came to us with his truth, he um, never wanted to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. He never... I mean, he refused to wear girls' clothes at four. I mean, that was like a big fight that didn't last long. And then we ended up just getting boy clothes. Sounds familiar. Um, Yeah. But when he was five, all through five, he wanted a haircut. And we kept saying, no, let's wait. You know, he wanted it to be like Justin Bieber is what he kept saying. Mm -hmm. And my husband was really worried that, you know, she, at the time we thought, would regret it and get teased. So we didn't. And then lo and behold, we're at a hotel Right before his birthday, our house had a huge plumbing leak and my husband's at work and my son, my child comes up to me and goes, please, mom, can I get my hair cut for my birthday? And it just hit me. And I was like, who am I to say what kind of hair this kid can have? There are plenty of women out there with short hair. Why am I, who am I doing this for? You know, so I called my husband. I said, we're doing it. We're getting their haircut today. And he's like, sure. And I said, yep. And we even did the on the computer thing, practicing with his picture, his face and the hair on it. And he loved it. We went to do the hair and it was like instant transformation, instant glow. Like he was in the mirror with products we'd bought him. He just would not stop fixing his hair. He would not stop looking in the mirror. (laughs) Total shift. I mean, it was like so much more confidence, so much more happiness. 
That was before he even told us that he wanted to come back if he were to die ever as a boy. This is before pronoun changes. This is before any of that. So it was like this progression where we just kept seeing him bloom and blossom to where we we kind of followed his lead. And then we knew we were on the right path. Mm-hmm. And with each step, it was just more and more blossoming and happiness and confidence. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's it's so scary and so hard. But if we just follow our children's lead and trust that they know who they are. Yes. You know, the rest falls into place. Yes. And I, and I, <laughs> I kept trying to encourage myself. I'm like, you're a therapist. You know how to do this. You do this all day. Like you literally just sit in your office and help people be themselves. I mean, that really is one of the ultimate goals. And I think what I noticed um, in my process of giving that to my son fully was, um, was, was I was grieving. And, and what I was grieving was just my own expectations. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it now, it's like, gosh, I feel a little narcissistic that I like had put all these expectations onto my child since before they were born. Before he was we born. all do. We all do. I mean, I think this is this is why also when when I got this idea to write this book, you know, I just had this summary just come to me while I was taking a bath. All the chapters, all this, and the big the heart of it all. I think was the grief process because a lot of people argue and say there's no grief, you know, your child's still there, whatever, but there is. And it's not about the child. It's about our attachment to gender expectations, dreams, goals, hopes, names, mm-hmm. you know, colors, all that stuff. Like we get attached to so much of the decoration of the child versus the child, you know, the the essence of the child. So once, you know, once we go through, let ourselves go through that process, which is very normal, it's very common. I mean, I don't know one parent, I don't think that's had some bit of grief, whether it's big or little, but um, then you're able to realize the child's still there. Your child is still your child. Their, their essence is the same. Their heart is the same. Their humor is the same. Their smile is the same, if not bigger, when they are living their truth, you know, yes. and more affection and more joy coming. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it is a grieving process. And that's why I normalize that in the book because, but I, I make it very clear also to separate it that it's not the child you're grieving, it's the expectations and the labels and the future expectations and goals. So it's it's important to separate that out because your child needs you even more right now. They they need you to go get your support so that you can be there for them in their biggest moments of vulnerability, you know, and needing that insulation and support. Mm-hmm. So that's why this book, I think, is really geared towards the parent and getting the parent support. Yep. So they can be there for the child. And I think that when we grieve, we, and I'll name this for myself, when we mm-hmm. grieve, we isolate. When I so, grieve, I isolate. And I, and I really appreciated in the book how you talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, you might want to, do this. Like it might, Mm -hmm. the urge might come up to to do that, Mm -hmm. to kind of go like this. And because it's hard to talk about, it's hard to explain. For me, it was hard to connect with different people I hadn't talked to for a while because I'm like, gosh, do I have to explain this again? And it's just a lot of emotional labor Mm -hmm. and energy. And so I appreciated that this book was written in such a way that it, I really felt like you were talking to me 
And just, it, it's like almost like we were just sitting together and you were just sharing your story with me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a really safe, accessible way to get support. Awesome. That's what I intended it to be because the antidote to grief and, you know, the things that go along with grief is getting that support because I think we tend to feel so alone in it when it's happening because it's not the norm. It's just not, you know, you're going to meet other people that have trans children. Yes. But is that the norm? No. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to isolate. You're going to want to, um, your tendency might be to hide it because it might feel too scary, too big, too unknown. You know, you want to protect your child. You don't want to stand out, whatever. But the anecdote is support. So what I listed was those specific places where you can find people that have been there, done that, so they can guide you on the journey and give you that needed support. Like the Facebook group, which is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's PFLAG meetings in almost everyone's community. There's books. There's videos on YouTube that are, you know, awesome little videos that just really spoke to me. Some of them, the early early stages with my son, there were a few that really stood out that were like, and I even showed my son the videos and he's like, that's like me, you know, just to have, to not feel so alone, you know, I think is so important and to help us figure out our, our power Mm. for sure. We have a lot of it. Yes. And, you know, I'm imagining this resonates with you, but for me, when I feel helpless, or overwhelmed, sometimes what helps me is to figure out where I can be powerful, mm-hmm. which is why I was so excited for us to have this conversation together today. Yes. Um, and I know we talked a lot about how to have this conversation because, um, you know, when I went to Facebook groups for support uh, back in the beginning of the year, I joined the Facebook group that was supportive from for me and my child and my family. And I accidentally joined a Facebook group that was that was not that was you know kind of like my worst nightmare for my child in terms of Boy. things they were saying about trans kids and things they were teaching parents to do in response mm. that are kind of the opposite of of what we're talking about and the right mm-hmm. thing to do and so i think that even scared me more yeah about the dangers in the world and and how to mm-hmm. protect my child and how to to navigate safety and things and things like that uh, with disclosure. So that's something that I still think about quite a bit, and I also feel empowered to talk about this with you because we we have to we have yeah. to we have to talk about it. We have to help those kids and those families and those parents. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fine line when we are advocating on some level in a public arena when there is so much active ignorance, bigotry, and hatred out there, there just is, of people that um, are spreading misinformation and then are not educated and most likely don't know anyone that's trans. Because once you know someone, like we were saying, you see it firsthand, it just clicks. It makes sense. It's not hard to understand. But I do think we have to walk that fine line of protecting our children's anonymity and also um, getting the support we need and then advocating in the world. So it's it's tricky these days and I'm hopeful in the next 10 years, it won't be like that. You know, it's going to be so much more understood and people are going to just get educated and we're not going to have these fears of um, the bad groups, you know, like finding out or, or falling into the wrong groups. 
And and I noticed this too. Um, and I think our kids are about the same age when this happened for for our families, is that um nobody, nobody in his kindergarten class cared. Like, yeah, like everyone was just like, okay, that's your new name and pronouns. Like, yeah, we'll practice to make sure we get it yeah. right. And and um, you know, I know that I live in a place that that is uh liberal and, and educated and understanding in that way, mm-hmm. but I think you know, and you talk about this in the book too. Like, I think I was walking around like this, just terrified mm-hmm. that somebody was going to, you know, hurt him or say something. And it's, and it's like that hypervigilance parents can have when they want to protect their child from ignorance, mm-hmm. right? From bullying, from people who don't understand that these are kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really did struggle with that in the beginning. I, I wrote about that too, how in the beginning, I felt it was my obligation to educate, to um, advocate, to get everybody on board. Um, my daughter was four at the time, and she was in a TK class. And they were, and my son was in um, first grade at the same time. And she made an announcement to the class when they were talking about the girls' room and the boys' room, the bathrooms, that my brother used to use the girls' bathroom, but now he uses the boys' bathroom. And she was just so innocently proud of her big brother. And the teacher pulled me aside at the end of the day and said, you know, I think it's so awesome that she's so proud of her brother, but we need to be careful of pushback from parents. And, you know, you need to talk to her about discretion and and privacy and yada, yada. So I panicked, you know, I was in the early stages and hadn't really gotten much support at the time and was just really fierce in advocating and protecting at that moment. So I made a flyer. I had our family picture at the top. I talked about my our son's transition and all these resources for more education. And I pulled aside parents from my daughter's class that may have heard these announcements from my daughter in class. And then I also gave some to my son's friends' parents so that they understood because he went to kindergarten with long hair, female name, female pronouns. Yep. Then he went to first grade, short hair, shortly after starting first grade, new pronouns, and then new name at the end of the year. So it was like this gradual progression, but I knew parents were going to be wondering what was going on. And I knew kids, kids were pretty good about it. I I've had to explain it to them like at parties or if I was volunteering in the classroom, I would just very basically describe it and they totally got it. Mm-hmm. But parents have all these more years of the binary being brainwashed into them basically yes. that where they don't understand it if they don't know anyone that's gender non-conforming mm-hmm. so I did overdo it and I did out him unintentionally I would never do that now but at his young age and with the fears I had in our conservative town the mm-hmm. school had no experience with it the school really didn't know how to back us as a family wow. I felt like I needed to do that and um I did get his consent from what he knew at that age, what that meant. But now I never would do that. So it's it's this balancing act you do. Like now I do as needed when things pop up. Yep. You know, but back then I was wanting to make the whole world safe for him, make this bubble of safety, you know, and it's just, you live and you learn and you get stronger and you do better when you know better. So. Well, and the grace you have for yourself, learning that and understanding that now, right, is contagious. Right. For people like me or other parents who might be listening, who are maybe in the early phases or whatever phase they're in of figuring this out with their families and their child to be able to give yourself grace. That's huge. This is a lot of newness. 
And it's been a process for me. This didn't come about like when he first transitioned. I did not have a lot of grace for myself. I, I had a lot of work to be done still on myself. I had a lot of anxiety. I, you know, I had a lot of unworked on things as well as the parenting stuff, you know? So it's all been a process through the years, but, um, I definitely feel like now that I've been through the years and I've gotten to a place of self-compassion with myself about a lot of this stuff, I want to give it to the parents that I'm working with as much as I can, Mm. you know, and sessions are, as you know, limited an hour. And that's not a lot of time to talk to parents when I do have their attention and sometimes they don't come back. Mm. And so that's why I really wanted to put everything into a book. Yep. So that they can access the support and information and all the things I wanted to say mm-hmm. and have that at their disposal. Well, and the book is such a nice invitation, let's say, and you talk about this in the book, if there is, let's say, one parent, maybe it's the mom who is mm-hmm. um, advocating uh, and and out there kind of the, the doer and the organizer, and let's say the other mm-hmm. parent, maybe it's the dad, maybe it's, you know, whatever the relationship is in the marriage, but might be more hesitant. The book's a nice resource to kind of slide to someone and just say, have a look mm-hmm. at this. If you're not ready to come and talk to a therapist with me. Right. Yeah. Um, that happened in my life. Um, and that happened to a lot of people that I've worked with. And unfortunately, it generally, this is generally speaking, and there's always exceptions, but generally does tend to be the mom that has this heartbeat on the child and, and the conversations with the child and the feeling that something's off and does the research and, you know, carries that emotional load in a lot of ways as a parent. So that I do feel was kind of like what helped me in figuring it out kind of before my husband did. And when my husband let me know in his own way that he was resistant, mm-hmm. um, that was really difficult. That was probably the hardest part of the transition was getting him on board and feeling him not being involved and feeling so alone in the process. So um, had I had more resources that might've helped, you know, but I think I just had to put my foot down Mm -hmm. and, you know, mama means business. Like you're going to get involved in this. I'm already involved in this. So you're going to get involved in this because I was already dealing with the school. I was already dealing with, you know, the emotional meltdowns he was having and things like that. So it's like, you know, sometimes we have to put our foot down for our partner to get involved. Mm -hmm. And like I said in the book, sometimes there's a partner who's not willing to get educated and who's not willing to get involved. And that's when, you know, therapy is really helpful to talk to someone who is gender affirming and educated that can help, you know, provide much needed education and resources for those parents Mm -hmm. and also teach the other parent how to set boundaries if the other parent's not going to be affirming because that is dangerous to the child to yes. be living in the same home with someone who is not affirming or rejecting. That's right. So, and as we're having this very important part of the conversation, I also want to name and highlight that in the book, we're talking about parents or mom and dad, but obviously there's lots of configurations of mm-hmm. families and, and partnerships. And, and I appreciated that you wrote this to speak to you know, teachers and coaches and all, and all, all sorts of caregivers mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for trans kids. I thought that was nice to be able to apply it to different groups like that. So just wanted to note that, you know, um, <laughs> there's so many things I want to say about the next thing I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to like rein in my own feelings as much as possible as I, as I bring this up. But um, 
you know, I, I'll never forget um, when we made a Facebook announcement to our Facebook community um, and, and sharing with people, you know, in our, our private Facebook community, um, my husband and I, about what was happening with our son. And we were very clear in that announcement uh, that there was no place in our lives, in our son's life, for anybody who was not affirming him. Mm-hmm. And making, the, I'll never forget sending that email with my husband. We're in our bed, we were holding hands, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, oh God. So scary, so hard. Terrifying, terrifying, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. obviously as, as a parent, you're like, nobody can come in here with any kind of toxicity. It's traumatizing to our child. And we lose people. We lose um, communities yeah. when we do this. Yeah. And I want to name that because um, that's, I think, one of the hardest parts of this of this process and this journey. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in my church and it was just after we had announced about our son to our Facebook community. And the topic for that day just happened to be about sexuality and gender. And the question was, should we use someone's preferred pronouns? And I just thought, I can't go to this church anymore. Like it was just so um, disappointing and enraging. And so I want to, I want to just name this because I know you Mm -hmm. talk about this in the book and I want to help people listening to this understand that part of this is letting go of people or communities or churches who aren't going to be on this journey with us. No. Yeah. And I, I I always describe it as a giant filter, Mm -hmm. like at the beach, you know, you're pouring sand in and all the junk is going to stay in, excuse the language, but I do believe it's appropriate. The rocks, the sharp things, the things that are not, you don't want are not going to go into this beautiful pile of sand that's smooth and soft and safe, you know? And so a lot of times I think when we have to use this filter, when our child transitions, it's like a magnifying glass, you know, there's already been probably issues in a lot of these arenas in our life, relationships with churches, with things that maybe we turned our eyes to and we thought it was no big deal or it was good enough, you know, but we get that laser focus mission of, of protection when it's about our babies. You can't unsee it. <laughs> no. And it, it, it just, and that's why I think it's such a blessing to have a gender non-conforming child because it purifies our world and it, it lists our standards of who's in our life. It's people who affirm us. And yeah. shouldn't we have that for all areas of our life? I mean, shouldn't we really be with healthy people who love us and affirm us for who we are and are healthy for us and... You know, so I think it just kind of clarifies things for us, even though it's, I, of course, it's painful. Of course, it's scary. And I, I don't mean to make light of it. I went through a lot of loss with my family, but had I had issues with them before this, yes. Yep. You know, and had I struggled with those relationships and, and had it affected me negatively through the years, yes. And I tolerated it. But when it came to my child, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it, it made things very clear. So it is clarifying and something about the clarity. I'm I'm picturing that image of, of the, of the sand and the rocks and all that, you know, shit sifting through. Yeah. Um, that's there's something comforting about the clarity. 
Right. I mean, that I think that's that's a nice kind of anchor to come back to when things feel sad and overwhelming. And it's like, oh yeah, no, this is this is filtering out some things in my life that mm-hmm. you know, I'm making room for for things that are more affirming and and really mm-hmm. taking that kind of um proactive, like we're not just gonna tolerate we yeah. we are affirming. Oh yeah. So yeah. much toleration goes on before this. I see it in so many families I work with in, you know, just the family configuration of marriage. You know, so many marriages go through such transformation. Like I say in the book, when a child transitions, the family transitions. It's not just one person. So it it forces parents to work on their marriage, you know, and sometimes they, they come out stronger and sometimes they don't stay together because it wasn't a healthy thing to begin with, you know, but it's a spotlight. It It really does highlight things that are, you know, need to be changed or altered to protect your child. Yep. You know, it's it's a lot of clarity. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about protecting kids um, just in terms of the statistics? Mm. Yes. There, there was something so powerful for me and clarifying to use that, that word again. When someone said something like this to me, which was, um, You'd rather have a happy son than a dead daughter. Yeah. And to see the statistics, mm-hmm. I was like, this is mm-hmm. this is a no-brainer. For folks listening, do you want to share a little bit about the stats of what we're seeing? Yeah. Um, and I always share this with parents when I first meet with them, whether they're supportive or not, because they need to know their power. You know, 41% is the going rate right now that everyone hears about of trans gender nonconforming individuals will attempt to take their life. That's 10 times higher than the cis community um, with suicide attempts. So, but there are studies now showing that if a child is affirmed by their family, by their parents, that means using the correct pronouns, getting them the clothes that they want, you know, supporting them at school with friends, with all those areas of their life with their preferred gender that they fare as well with their mental health as their cis counterparts. So parental support is supportive and it's protective. It is completely protective. So I tell all my parents this, that you insulate your child. You, you are, there is stuff in the world that's going to hurt them. There is, there's just turn the news on. I mean, just put on social media, but you insulate them with your love more than ever because their identity, this is this is not like a fad that they're doing. This is not a um, a hobby that they're trying on. This is who they are. Yes. You know, so when you accept that and honor that and love that and treat it like a gift that you know it, that child feels important and special and and that they're okay. Yep. And so it protects them. They belong. Yeah. So it's it's we have so much power as parents. That's why I always want to meet with parents whenever I'm working with a teenager or child, um, even young adults. Sometimes if they're struggling with their parents, because the parents are the front line of support. And I've seen the opposite when the parents are not supportive. I've seen kids just really, really go downhill with their mental health. Yep. Um, not only is the risk suicide, but the risk is losing your relationship with your child. A lot of older teens and young adults that I work with have had to cut their parents off because they're not accepting. And it's, it's to protect themselves. Like they, they know that this is a non-negotiable. This is just who they are. 
That's right. So I I feel in that role. I feel like at times in sessions as being the parent on a on a level as a way of just saying you are accepted the way you are and there's nothing wrong with you. This is their ignorance. Mm. This is their problem, not yours. Yep. You know, and help them find other supportive people in their life that can fill those roles for them. So. Yes. Beautifully said, which is why it is so important that we are having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Because you get emotional thinking about this. But you know, if there is a teacher or a coach or an aunt or a neighbor who does use the correct pronouns, who does use mm-hmm. the correct name, who is affirming, mm-hmm. how powerful that can be for mm-hmm. a child mm-hmm. whose parents maybe don't quite get it yet yes. or don't want to get it yet. Yes, Trevor Project did a, a study and they found that one supportive parent or I'm sorry, not parent, person can make the difference in a child's mental health completely and safety in life. Just one supportive person can make all the difference. So maybe it's not the parents. Maybe it's a, a teacher, a coach, like you said, or an aunt or an uncle, someone who's supportive, who sees them as who they are and supports who they are and loves who they are. That is invaluable. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned the Trevor Project and you have a beautiful list of all these different groups and resources in your book. Um, do you have a couple of favorites that folks can listening might want to check out as they're um, to get support? Uh, my favorites are books, actually. The Transgender Child and the Transgender Teen. I refer that out daily, probably, with all my clients. It is just a conceptual overview of history, to rights, to um, just understanding their child and, and their power as a parent. You know, it's, it's wonderfully um, explores all the areas of school, legal issues, all kinds of things that really were like a, um, um, a life vest for me and my husband in the beginning of our son's transition. It, because I didn't have Facebook support groups back then. Yeah. I didn't have um, books that I knew of. I didn't, I had, I had a friend that reached out to me who had a friend who had a trans child that was older and I connected with her and she started me on my journey of support that I got. But, you know, all, I'd say all those resources in the back are excellent resources, but if you like books, that is a wonderful resource. There's also, um, Gender Revolution, which is, it's an hour-long documentary, I believe, by Katie Couric. And it was in, I think, 2017 that it came out. There's also um, a National Geographic magazine that came along at the same time, Gender Revolution. Mm-hmm. And um, it really goes over basic concepts for parents. And I think it's really helpful for them just to kind of, if they're really not understanding any of this, to hear Katie interviewing families. They follow like three or four families. Mm-hmm. She kind of plays the learning parent who doesn't understand anything and it just goes through each thing and it helps you just really get it. And you see the kids, you see the families, you see the kids thriving with the parent support. It just makes sense. Mm. So, and the magazine is really cool because it goes over concepts of gender in all different societies through the time. So it's, it's just very interesting to see how other cultures view, view gender differently. Yeah. And, and from what I got in the book, it was a lot of other cultures don't think it's this bad big deal that, that people are expressing things differently and they're they're revered in other cultures. They're celebrated, revered. They have powers. They're seen as like healers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we have a, a long way to go in this society, this culture of 
um, getting educated and understanding gender diversity better. Yep. Because it's nothing new and it's nothing that's going to go away. It's, it's just a normal part of diversity. Yes, it is nothing new. And listening to you, I'm hearing, you know, there weren't Facebook groups. There were, I mean, it's like, and this was just what, eight years ago that your son transitioned. So this really is new in some ways, but not in other ways. Yeah. Right. Um, And I think what was such an amazing moment for us was that when we figured out another family also has a trans son Mm -hmm. and to have our kids meet and play together, right? These Mm -hmm. five-year-old boys and my son having no idea that their son is trans. Mm-hmm. Right. And and just and it's like, well, yeah, it should just be like this. Yeah. <laughs> it should just what a concept. Be. Yeah. 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 Well, my son, my son actually, um, we had the opportunity to meet a couple people once he had transitioned for a couple years and he was kind of feeling comfortable in his skin. Um, on the support group when I finally got on it, I met a couple local moms, and one in particular had a child around the same age as my child. And their child was assigned female at birth also and was expressing things that seemed, you know, like it was a gender issue, but the mom wasn't sure. And so we got them together for a play date. And literally after the first play date, this child came to the mom and said, I want to cut my hair and I want to get white clothes and I want to change my name. And it was like a week and this child transitioned and is totally flourishing now and happy and doing really, really great. And, you know, I I was able to tell my son that, look, like just by being who you are, you didn't even have to say anything about it. Just this kid knowing, because I did, the kid did know that my yep. son was trans because yep. that's what they were looking for is solidarity in other people to know that he could do that, that he could transition. But I told my son, just by being who you are, mm-hmm. you're helping someone else live their truth and that's going to change the world. And he just was like, you know, like so excited and so proud of himself. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I feel like we have so much good to do in this world and it's such a, it's such a cool experience and such a a gift for our family. And I, I just think other people on this path that are scared, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna see it too in time once they get that support and they get going on the path. Mm -hmm. It's, it's amazing. It's It's so clarifying and yeah. Well, and I'm listening to you and, I, and I'm noticing two parts. One is the part that's like, yes, our kids can feel powerful to say who they are. And yes, we can say as their moms, you know, this is who my child is. And also the part of us that's like, I shouldn't have to say this. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have to talk about this. I shouldn't totally. have to have my kid say anything and they should be able to have privacy. And so it's an interesting experience to feel both of those parts. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah. It's a dichotomy for sure. Like, we're approaching that, you know, with a new school coming up and, you know, our son is um, not wanting everybody to know and and that's his right, you know, and that's okay. And that's his place. But, you know, when it's in a situation where, you know, it's someone seeking support and we found it on a support group and he's consented to meet this kid and and wants to go hang out with this kid and, and it helps that kid. I think those situations, it can be really powerful and helpful. But we also do need to, you know, it's a process. It's not an easy thing, the figuring out who to tell, who not to tell. And as a parent, it's exhausting. It's yeah. That's why you need the support. You need to talk to people who get it and who have been there, you know, and normalize it and 
and validate you and give you suggestions if you need them and just, you know, to ha- find your tribe and not feel so alone. Yes. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibility. It is. It has, it's so complicated. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sitting here deeply appreciating the conversation. I could literally talk to you for hours. I have talked to you for hours, but but for the purpose of this episode, there's really, I think, two more things that I'd love to to just touch on before we end, which is, um, you know, one thing people said to us, I don't think out of a place of, of being malicious or wicked, but one thing we heard quite a bit was, oh, it's just a phase. Mm-hmm. Like how, how, how could they know, you know? Mm-hmm. And if, if a parent's listening to this, if a therapist is listening to this, how do you think about that question or that statement of like, this is just a phase? How do you yeah. hold that? I think it comes from a, a good place, but a place of ignorance in my experience. You know, people told me that when my son was in kindergarten and I was even telling the teacher, like, you know, have you ever worked with any other little girls that all they do is wear boy clothes and play with boys and you know, want to be a policeman when they grow up. And she's like, oh, it's probably just a phase, you know, and she had every good intention, I'm sure saying that, but she's not so educated in it. And we found out later that the school had never really experienced gender um, variance before. So what I tell parents when they're concerned that maybe it is just a phase is follow your child's lead. You know, a lot of times kids do speak up about things, listen for those things, talk to them, ask questions, ask them things that can help you figure things out more, get in, get educated yourself so that you can help your child with the correct terminology. It could just be a phase, sure, but you follow your child, you know, and you support them for whatever they're at that, that, that moment. You love the child in front of you, basically. Mm. If it's not just a phase, it's going to probably last for quite some time and it's not going to change. If anything, it's going to intensify. The child's going to want more and more affirmation in one way or another, whether it's as a boy, as a girl, or as Mm non-binary, you know, and they're going to um, show distress and they're going to show leanings towards things. They used to say this whole insistent, consistent, persistent thing, that that's your way of knowing if it's not just a phase, that they're going to insist on something. They're going to, it's going to be consistent across the board in their different areas of clothing and hair and friendships and activities. And then it's going to be persistent through time. It's not going to go away. But what they're finding is that's more for kids who might be more extroverted and and outspoken. Mm -hmm. That didn't account for um, temperament and personality. I work with a ton of kids who are very shy and quiet and who do not want to bother anybody with telling them their pronouns and they don't want to bother their parents. They see their parents are busy or stressed and they don't want to inconvenience them, you know? So I, I have to work with them on finding their voice to tell their parents, you know, sometimes I'm knowing about their gender before their parents do. And so it's, you know, telling them that it's an honor for your parents to know who you are. It's not an inconvenience. It's just them getting to know you on a deeper level. So the phase part is, we don't know until we we see it go on in time and we talk to our children and we follow them. Yep. You know, so there's no way to say it's just a phase or it's this or it's that. It's you follow your child. That's such beautiful advice. And I think that is, you know, what, what we did at our house. And, you know, I've had family members say things to me like, well, what if, what if he changes his mind Mm -hmm. and you've done, it's like, okay. Exactly. 
Exactly. No one has a crystal ball, but I want to show up as the parent who is, like you're saying, seeing my child and reflecting back to them who they say they are. That's the kind of parent I want to be. The answer of this doesn't matter to me. Exactly. Just does my child feel supported by me? Exactly. And think about it. Are they going to change their mind on hairstyles through the years? Are they going to change their mind on future job goals in the future? Are they going to change their mind on friend groups? I mean, kids are constantly evolving and changing and growing. I mean, gender is no different. Gender is something that's to be explored. You know, even if you're cisgender, sometimes you don't fit into that stereotype of how you want to dress or how you, the kind of job you want to have, or, you know, it's, it's, everyone's unique and individual. So it's, you follow them as they go. Yes. In terms of expression. Change their mind. I love it. You follow them. Yeah. You, you follow them. I, I love it. You've, you've touched on this several times in the conversation. I want to really make it clear for any therapists listening mm-hmm. to this. If you had a magic wand. Mm, I wish. And, <laughs> I know. You and me both. <laughs> if we had a magic wand, what, what are we asking therapists to do? Should they have a child come into their practice mm-hmm. who is figuring this out? Should they have parents in their office? How how do you articulate the role of the therapist mm. to be affirming mm-hmm. and, and to do quote, the right thing mm-hmm. by these kids? What does that look like? Number one, get educated. You, you cannot serve this population if you're not understanding gender and the difference between gender and sexuality and understanding the biological underpinnings and understanding the ignorance in the world and understanding all the variants of gender, that there's so many labels. There's not just one or two of gender non-conforming labels. There's all kinds of other labels and variations. You know, go to trainings, read books, mm-hmm. make sure you meet other trans individuals or gender non-conforming individuals so that you understand how it really is in the real world, not just in a book, you know? So education is first. Second of all, if you're working with a child or a teen is give them that safe space without the parents there, but also include the parents as you're able to build the child up to talk with the parents, help support them to talk to the parents, but help, you know, affirm who they are, especially if their parents are not affirming. Yes. You know, they need that one person. You can be that one person mm-hmm. for sure. I've been that one person for a lot of people, the first person that people have come out to. And it's such an honor and it's so amazing to see them just blossom and grow after they get that support, mm-hmm. you know, and to be that safe place for them to go to. Mm-hmm. They don't have maybe the affirming parents or family that they needed. So mm-hmm. education, support, you know, if, if you're in any way doubting or not understanding it, don't work with this population. I know that sounds kind of harsh, but I've, I've heard of other therapists that have worked with parents of my kids that I work with and that other therapists have said some really ignorant things about, um, you know, a cat wearing a dog suit is not a dog, you know, stuff like that. That's not, not okay. No, it's not a not good okay. analogy. Not a good analogy. No. So get educated if you're going to work with this population understand what's with WPATH standards of care, understand, I mean, you're going to be asked to do all kinds of uh, affirming things like writing letters for people. 
you need to be educated. There's trainings all the time um, online. You can just Google it and search. I put a lot of listings in the back of my book. Get educated. Um, talk with other clinicians that work with this population. Get yourself on board with all that stuff because you can you can do a lot of harm as well if you're not educated and you don't know yeah. if you're not affirming in things that you're saying that are not accurate. Yep, you could be doing more harm than good. Thank you for saying that question, not to put you on the spot. I know you mm-hmm. support parents. I know you support kids in your mm-hmm. therapist hat. Mm-hmm. Do you ever um, help therapists uh, in terms of kind of consulting with them about mm-hmm. how to do this and teach them? Informally, I've had a couple reach out to me since I've had um, <laughs> my book come out. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm pretty full with with my practice and then with my own children and their activities. So I've referred them on to other things to get more support because I haven't taken it on professionally to do like um, professional coaching or anything like that. I might in the future, I don't know, but I feel like um, right now I'm best um, used as supporting people out there, but I I do answer questions and I do refer people to where they need to go to get the information. Okay. For sure. Sure. That's awesome. And one, well, and, and again, I think, I think you having the courage to write the book, it's, it's informative, it's personal, it's relatable, but you know, I can imagine like just, just you writing that and putting that out there for people is a way that they can feel educated by you, connected to you through this without having to physically be with you in a, in a session or, or in a consultation, which I think is just um, a huge gift. Mm, thank you. That's my hope. <laughs> help for sure. Is there anything else that you want folks to to know or understand? I know there's a lot there, but anything that we ha- that I haven't asked you that feels important to say? I I just really really believe that we are born the way we are, the way we are. There's no mistakes. I yes. do believe my higher power, which I label God. Everyone has their own higher power. Does not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Trans people have been around and gender non-conforming people have been around since the beginning of time. I'm a little biased in believing that gender non-conforming people are super magical and special. Everyone I meet has just such depth and quality to them. That's It's just amazing to know them. Yes. And um, I learn something from every person I work with. You know, it, it enriches me as a person and it helps me in my life. Um, so it, it's not something that's a choice. Parents out there, it's not something you ate when you were pregnant or the age you conceived or anything like that. It's This is natural diversity of human beings. There are going to be trans people. There's gender non-conforming people. There's non-binary people. This is just part of diversity. And yes. um, I think the more we get educated, the more we're going to understand that. And it's not going to be some strange thing that um, people don't understand anymore. It's going to become just a normal part of the world. I'm, is... I'm here for you for the mission. I'm Me on too. Yay. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. This is really important. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I want to again, thank Wendy Jones, author of Transformed for joining us today. It's true. It's true what she says, right? We are transformed by our clients. We're transformed by our children. And it has been a beautiful journey in our house. It has been a hard journey in our house. And 
I am excited that there is more attention and resources being given to support these transitions and transformations for these kiddos and their families, including mine. If this is speaking to you, if this is if this has gotten you riled up and excited uh, to learn more, you can find all of Wendy's information in the show notes below. Uh, I can speak from personal experience that um, <laughs> her book was uh, accessible. It was quick. It is it is the one book I have read front to, <laughs> front to back in six years of raising twins, and it was uh, well worth the time to read. So highly encourage you checking that out and um, really appreciate your openness to to learning more. I know as therapists and parents, we're often overwhelmed with things we're supposed to learn and figure out. And what's been so profound for me going through this process with with my uh, son and our family is that I have learned so much about myself, about people, about society, and you can't unsee what you're seeing. So I'm excited for you to pull back the curtain and uh, get a deeper understanding than before. So with all of that being said, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us be with you today in this precious uh, relationship that we have together. And until next time, I am wishing you love, safety, kindness all around you. And as always, I'm rooting for your success. See you next time. 